this is something pretty funny and odd that just happened. I went to my parents' house, my, my their new house, the one that they've been wanting me to move into, and my mom showing me all the new decorations and stuff she's put in. She begins to explain to me about how the cable works, and she's always dropping these little hints like, you know, you could come over here and do your laundry. You know, you could come over here and study. You know, you could come over here and spend the night if you're not feeling good. She's always trying to open that door for me to come in, and I don't blame her. I'd be doing the same thing. But she explains to me, oh, I found this TV show, this TV channel that we don't have at home. It's a different one. It's channel 919. And I started laughing. Bob started laughing. She goes, what, is that one of the numbers? And I'm like, yeah, that's the number that's preventing me from moving in this house. <laughs> it's numbers 919. And while the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed God and did not set out. <clears throat> Then, I leave their house, I'm headed to the trail, I didn't even get a half a mile down the road, I look down, oh, on the way out of the house, mom mentions it again, she goes, well, that, that, it could mean something else, I said, well, not for me, it doesn't mean anything else, I said, but I didn't see it, so that's just a coincidence, but God will show it to me if I need to see it, half a mile down the road, 191.9 miles on my speedometer, I pulled into the turning lane, stopped, to take a picture that's 919 a half a mile after we just talked about it God again reminded me stay put my mom said today she felt like she's supposed to send $200 to I believe it's her emotions that's wanting to do it but I can't tell her that because I ask people not to tell me what, what God has spoken to me so I just said you know just be careful and think about it and pray about it but if you feel like you're supposed to do it she asked me if I wanted to send it from me so that it went to the court and I said no not supposed to do that so we'll see what happens out of that but it's also interesting that they were they were uh, telling me about this Jewish rabbi they went to their church to see speak and he was explaining things about Jewish history and he apparently started explaining to them that the oral tradition which was passed down which was explanations that went beyond the scripture states that the reason why the ten spies didn't want to go into the promised land that God had told them was not because of the reasons that we think it was because they said that the land consumes people that they were afraid because they were so godly and they were so dependent upon him that it would overwhelm them and they would become like you know people in America do and I said mom that sounds to me like a Jewish person making almost justification for disobedience. The Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible says that it was because God God said that they didn't believe he could deliver them from the giants in the land, not because they were oh so godly and didn't want to, you know, become worldly. And I thought, wow, isn't that amazing how deception can run? Oh, see, that's not why, you know, God wanted them to not go, or why they didn't go in there. And I think to myself, it takes such good understanding to be able to stand against all the lies that are being told people. I need to make a list of these things, like the guy who said the two becoming one flesh is two people that have a child, thus they're married in God's eyes. You know, and the other things I've heard this guy, people say, it's just, it's crazy how much nonsense is out there. 
I just came off the trail. It's 2.24 in the afternoon from a beautiful prayer walk run. And I was thinking about that all the times I've so bad wanted to get a job. Like I would, I drove past a business that's asked me to do some video work, a chiropractor in town, and I've had to say no. I just made me think about getting a job and I started thinking, you know, if I went to even try to get a job, I know God would stop me because he wants me to finish the work that he's called me, already called me to do, all these teachings of Jesus Christ. And I just have to keep my faith that that is what he's asking me to do. And I was thinking how people might say, why would God ask you not to work? And I would have to explain he's not asking me not to work. He's asking me to do a different kind of work. And just as I said that, I pull up to the stoplight and I took a picture of it, the only car there, 8H11. There was no other numbers. It was just letters. It was 811 looking, staring at me right there, which is, now finish the work which you began so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Fantastic. Fantastic. It's uh, 2.30 on Saturday, August 23rd, 2014. I'm leaving the office that I've been sleeping in, my buddy Bobby's office, headed to my um, mom's house to go finish watching this Vietnam HD thing. The most incredible thing happened last night. I'm sitting there watching the first episode, Vietnam in HD, by the History Channel, and they get to the part where they start talking about how the uh, army officials realized if they used Huey helicopters, they could drop people in into the jungle. The soldiers get them closer to the fighting area. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I see all these soldiers walking towards the camera. And I'm like, that's my dad. I mean, I see this guy that looks so much like my dad. I stop. I've watched the clip three or four times, and I take a screen capture. I send it to my mom and to my dad. And I'm like, Dad, I think this is you. And my mom writes back. She says, I think that is definitely your father. And so I just thought that was so cool, seeing my dad in, in the, the Vietnam War film on History Channel. And... So this morning I woke up and I uh, listened to a program by Charles Stanley called um, Turning Crisis into Opportunity. And it was a wonderful message, 15 tips, points, keys to having each crisis in our life be turned into an opportunity. And part of that is recognizing that God is truly in control, sovereign, and he is working all things together for the good to those who love him. And this is so important to remember. And he, te he keeps teaching to remember every crisis and adversity and difficulty coming at you. See it as coming from God because he's allowing it. If you love God, you can know that he's allowing it. And it's for your good. And even if it's something that you've made a mistake on your own, God will use that for your good. So I was very encouraged by the message. He talks about how one crisis builds on another to prepare you for what's coming in the future. He used uh, seven crises that Joseph faced, and he shows how each one builds on the other, preparing Joseph for bigger things down the road. He says, you know, the, the, your pain today will be your profit tomorrow, something to that effect, that the pain and problems today will be profitable to you tomorrow. I watched that, and then I, um, I've sent a couple more texts. My mom said that the kids called there last night after I asked, to have him call. Actually, I then had her call, ask him to call me here at the office. And of course, I started thinking about that today uh, a little bit while I was working on the teachings of Christ. And I'm, I, I think it's my biggest concern right now. My biggest struggle is 
dealing with not seeing my kids and the parental alienation is reaching a point where it's starting to scare me and I've been I've been actually okay I've, by God's grace I've been okay just kind of resolute in recognizing that I'm in this situation that I don't want to be in but that God has clearly put me in this situation and when I talk to my kids things are okay and I continue to have a level of peace and, and happiness and joy I'm able to get my work done for the Lord and I just have noticed that over the last couple of months, the pressure is building and building, and the alienation is getting worse and worse. My ex-wife has not returned a text to me in, in a year. Now, she's returned a couple of emails, but the, the request for me to contact, have the kids contact me, asking her to please let me speak to them via FaceTime because I don't have a cell phone, please let them you know, use Skype on my computer. She has refused every single request over the last many, many months. My kids are having a hard time understanding it. And I can tell when my kids, my kids are almost to the point where it's been, it, she has made it so difficult for them to have an enjoyable conversation with me that it's easier almost not to. I know they want to spill, talk to me, but when they get on the phone with me the last couple of times, it's very superficial. And even Chelsea said, Dad, when I talk to you, mom kind of hangs around the bathroom to hear what I'm saying. So she is controlling and manipulating the entire situation. She is preventing them from seeing the letters that I sent them when I send them on time. When I send them, she's keeping them and lying to them and telling, oh, they're not here yet. Just intentionally to cause me pain. They don't have any privacy with their dad. Whatever she's done to them, she's when it's time, when it's time for them to switch phones and she says or switch people when she says you know that it's somebody else's turn sometimes they will say I have to go dad and they won't even say I love you because and then they're gone and when I try to say anything it's like she's done something to them to make it to where they will experience a massive amount of pain if they do not get off that phone the second she tells them to with me it has always been controlled. Each time with the child has been limited. Very few times have I been able to speak to them for more than 15 or 20 minutes a piece where it's just cut off. I've had a, a couple of times where I don't get to speak to them for a couple of weeks and she may let me speak to the, all of them for two hours, you know, total. One time I think that happened. It was the longest call I ever had with them. But, you know, it's just really, really ugly. And my main point in making this message is I was able to, to download the entire text dialogue from my phone today in a PDF format that shows all the messages that I've sent, date, times, and all the lack of her response. And I thought about emailing it to her just so she can't ever come back and say, well, I never got those texts. Because it's been apparent the kids have seen the texts, they know that they, they, they come in on their phone, and she has had them call me one, one or two times I can think of within about 15 to 30 minutes of me requesting saying I'm at my kit, my parents' house. So I know she gets them, and they show delivered right on the iPhone. So I've thought about doing that, and I've thought about all the things I've wanted to say to her, like, you know, wow, I really am kind of shocked by this parental alienation, and, you know, this is just beyond evil, and just, you know, you have these temptations to want to say something, but I've been down this road long enough to know that I wouldn't dare waste my time anymore. And I feel like what God is just continuing to prompt me to do is to trust Him. This is one of those things where I am I'm feel certain I'm being tested. It's like one of those small things that 
Charles Stanley says, you maybe are not where you think you should be in life right now, and it very well may be that because God tested you in some seemingly insignificant area to you, but it was important to God, and you failed the test. And he's still trying to get your attention on that. And I feel like this is one of the tests. Will I jump ahead of God and take matters into my own hands and try to manipulate an outcome in my own strength and resource, or will I continue to wait for God? And that is the question. Will I continue to wait for God? And it is my prayer that I will be able to do so. Pulling into my parents' house here now to go finish watching the Vietnam story, but I'm just gonna, I wanted to remember this because I want to make sure that I, I don't get ahead of God and I don't try to manipulate. The temptations are certainly there. I really want to see my kids and I've been crying a lot about them and, you know, God, please help me to see my kids. Please give me the money to be able to see them and I can start to see how, you know, God not permitting me to have the money to pay child support is also what is contributing to his plan to bring so much tribulation in this situation and make this, this season so difficult. You know, it's really putting the squeeze on me and it's forcing me to be totally dependent upon God. Just like what Stanley said about how when Joseph was sold into to slavery, you know, he, he was put in a situation where he was totally 100% dependent upon God. And I tell you what, if I, if I try to, I think the lesson that I'm going to learn in this is that if I try to step ahead of God and fix this myself... And I try to manipulate or to put pressure on her or to use the legal system or to show her, hey, look, you're clearly parental alienation, you know, bound here. And uh, you could drag me into court all day long. And when they see this, you know, you're going to be the one in trouble, not me, da, 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 da. And what that would teach me is that I need to deliver myself rather than waiting on God to deliver me. And I believe that the main thing God's asked me is finish the work I've asked you to do, and then I really believe something awesome is going to happen. So I'm working my honey off to try and get it done. It's 8.37 at night on August 23rd, 2014. I got to talk to all five of the kids tonight. I'm so thankful. Unfortunately, they've you know it's been all week, and I haven't talked to them since they went to school, and her, the mom is still just playing games with letting them call me and you know then the phone died tonight after I talked to Tyler and Ashley and then they let the phone charge and the other three called me back I got to talk to them quick but they were all tired and stuff like that but it sounds like things are going okay and I just miss them so much I'm trying to keep myself calm over the phone and you know just keep letting them know how much I love them and miss them and you know, just being apart from them is hard. When I think about the reality of it, when I think about it, it's hard. You know, I guess I'm not with them and they're so busy being kids that, you know, it's not like me. I was a single parent child sitting around, you know, by myself where at least they have each other and they're busy and stuff like that. But man, when I think about it, oh, it just tears me up inside. I miss them so much. And uh, it's been so long, but I just feel like, I feel like God has got to reward this obedience. I feel like there's no way he could not reward my obedience. And my point in making this recording is that I'm tempted tonight to 
go stay in my parents' other house. My mom, just as I shut her bedroom door to tell him goodnight, you can go stay in that other house if you want to. And here it is, a beautiful, fully furnished house. Comfortable, it's got food, I'd have the whole place to myself. And instead, I'm driving back downtown Huntsville to sleep on a concrete floor on a makeshift pallet that I come up with, with blankets and an old pork, you know, park bench bed. And, you know, I'm not feeling sorry for myself at all. I, I'm, I, I shouldn't be making this recording when I'm this tired, but I think to myself, man, it sure would be nice to be able to go live in that house, but I just feel like God has told me, not yet, stay put. And I don't know if that means that he's got something different for me or if that means that he's going to eventually say yes. I almost feel like he's not. I almost feel like God is going to provide something different for me, resources or something's going to happen such that I can move on. Uh, and I'm praying. There's parts of me sometimes that I have these moments of doubt where I'm like, Mike, God is not going to miraculously come through for you with some kind of a check or some new deal or something. You just need to move on with your life and be normal like everybody else. You know, I still have not lost that part of me that realizes how out of your mind you have to be to trust God like this. I mean, there is this is tough. I can see how people, when you say... You know, you have this strong faith in God or you're believing that God's going to just deliver you. And God, I mean, there's a part of me that right now understands more than I have in a while, you know, how other people see that, that they think, you know, that's just fantasy living, that you're a dreamer. You, I can see why people say, man, do you have a mental illness, man? Do you think it's a dark spirit? I mean, honestly, right now I have more empathy for, you know, my retractors and my doubters than I've ever had before. It's like I just, God has given me a glimpse of, and it's not my doubt. I still believe wholeheartedly that God is speaking to me clear as day. And the number one thing God is telling me right now is to finish the work. Get these teachings memorized, these documents done. I just believe that there must be going to be a breakthrough when I get that done. I am trying. You know, Mom asked about church tonight. Are you not going to church? And I said, no. I said, in this season of my life, I'm just kind of over church for right now. I mean, it's very difficult for me, and I didn't mention this, but it's difficult for me to go to church. What am I going to have a conversation with somebody about? If they ask me, what am I doing? What do I have? My website's gone. My Bible study's gone. You know, I'm homeless. I don't have a job. What is there to talk about somebody with somebody that they wouldn't think I'm an absolute idiot? I mean, it's like, for all practical purposes, I'm in jail. I mean, it's like, I take such comfort in the biblical accounts of, like, this morning's message, turning crisis into opportunity, the story of Joseph, and just reading the impossible situations that people were putting in the Bible, and I think for some reason, right now, I'm able to see how people don't see me right, or how it looks so bizarre. When you talk about trusting God, and people just kind of write you off as weird. I don't know why, but I feel like I'm more sober about what that looks like to people right now than I have been in the longest time. 
like I can see people on TV saying, you know, trust God, and then God did this, and I can see how other people look at that and say, oh, that person's off their rocker, man. That person's nuts. I can see that. Because this world... And you know, you almost, as soon as that word comes out of my mouth, uh oh, here's one of those guys. He's living, he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. You know, and I can see all the people making excuses and people justifying and saying, but, and you know, my situation is rough right now. God is not allowing me to do any ministry. You know, I, I've not been up on that mountain in a while. I've, I've gone up there, I think yesterday it was, for a trail hike. But I haven't ran into anybody. I'm not at the Starbucks. I don't have a lot of confidence to even talk about God to people right now. I mean, what am I going to tell them? That's the honest to goodness truth is, you know, if if I were having a conversation with somebody while I was living with my parents, you know, I still spoke about God with great conviction and, and could tell people believe God, trust God and all that. I still believe that way, but I have a hard time right now speaking to other people about trusting God when my situations are so humble. Because people are so apt to, you know, believe that God is not with me because my circumstances are, are difficult. And so, particularly people that don't have strong faith in God, you know, they really, well, what do you do? Well, um, well... Uh, let's see. Uh, well, I study the Bible and I memorize the teachings of Jesus. Okay, and what else do you do? Um, well, I, I go for prayer walks. Oh, okay, all right, what else? I mean, you know, my, the way my life is at right now, where God has me at, the situation is so humbling, so it's very much still like being, like I'm wandering in the desert. It's kind of like the period of time between the Exodus and the entering of Canaan, the promised land, where you're kind of wandering a little bit. I, I, I feel very much like that is kind of the process. Like this is kind of like I'm in no man's land. I mean, I don't know if I'm making this up right now in my mind or if this is just absolute spot on spirit led biblical truth and insight that, you know, I'm being tested to move ahead with, you know, threatening my ex-wife more and letting her know that I see the parental alienation big time so that I can have my kids more and see them more versus waiting on God. I see the temptation to move into my parents' house and, and logic says, uh, Mike, they have this perfectly fine house with furnishings. It's your parents. What's the difference if they said they could let you stay at their house versus staying at the new house? And you know what? I can't understand it. Or what's the difference between sleeping on the floor at my friend's house? I don't understand it, but I have to obey God. And God made it abundantly clear to me that I was to not move ahead and move into that house. I just knew it. So, you know, I mean, he showed it to me in a very dramatic way. As Stanley says, Charles Stanley says, if God needs to... He'll, he'll speak to you in a very dramatic way to get your attention or to let you have absolute clarity. And God spoke to me two times in a very dramatic way to let me know, stay put. So now it's like it, for me to even, I just ignored my mom tonight politely after I shut the door. I pretended like I didn't even hear it and I just kept walking about, you know, the offer for me to move into the house because I just can't. You know, there's part of me that walked in that house the other day and I thought, 
I can totally see my kids and I living in this house. And, you know, there's that part of me that could see something really cool happen and we, me moving in there with the kids. But I have no idea what's going on. I would very much like to have a job. I'd very much like to have finances and be taking care of myself. But I just know that if I had moved on even six months ago back into what other people would call normal, where my life had a sense of working, that I would miss some of the things I'm gaining by waiting upon the Lord, that some of the spiritual maturity that I've gained would not be there, how real God is to me. Hopefully God will dramatically bless my story, dramatically deliver me and show me that he's show myself and people that he's with me. I know he's with me. But do it in such a way that gives such huge credibility to you know, the story of what God's done in my life and that other people will believe him because man, I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't believe me. That's just the truth. I mean, God has made my circumstances so humble that if I were a friend of me right now, I don't think I would believe me. I mean, I I think I have less blame right now for others watching me than I have ever had that if you would if somebody didn't have absolute rock solid super spiritual maturity, tremendous evidence of having walked with God and seen God do unbelievable things, I think that I would not believe myself. I, I think I may say, you know, Mike, I think you need to get a job, man. I think you need to just, you know, I, I, I don't need to say anymore. I just, to try to describe what I'm saying, I, I just, I think I get it, why people see it the way they do, and it's so hard. But I can't, I know I've heard from God, and no matter what it looks like to other people, no matter how inconvenient it is to be pulling into a corporate parking lot right now, having to walk into an office building and make a little bed and sleep, and no matter how ridiculous it feels, how lonely it gets, none of that, I have got to continue to trust God. My allegiance is to the Lord, and I believe I'm being tested. I believe that the Lord is testing me. And these are some of those little things that's just like Stanley talked about today. People look at these kind of things and they say, oh, that's just, a, that's so insignificant. And people would potentially shirk this off and say, ah, it's no big deal. Just go live in the house. Or, ah, oh, it's no big deal. Send your ex-wife these three pages of text messages that show that she's been, you know, not contacting you. And just do all this, that, and the other and take matters into your own hands. But I believe I'm being tested. I believe God is testing me to see if I will obey Him. And here I am, unlocking this door, walking in here. You know, I'll never want to forget this moment when I listen to this recording. That I am... I need to unlock this door. That I am sitting here, going into an office building on a Saturday night, all by myself. Super ironic, because this is the old YMCA building. And my stepfather lived here when he was younger, when he didn't have a place. He lived in this, and I'm thinking, how weird is that, that, you know, 40 years later, I don't know, 35 years later, however long it is, that I'm here living in this building right now, all by myself. And I have to kind of like be quiet in the mornings, and, you know, when people come in, and I, uh, it's just... So bizarre, man. 
so absolutely bizarre. But nevertheless, you know, it is what it is, and I'm thankful for it. It's so much better than being in that car. Oh my goodness, that, that one night I spent the night in my car was horrible. I would not want to have to do that again. I mean, it was absolutely horrible. So here I am in my buddy's office, Bobby Junkin. He's been so gracious with me to let me stay in his office. And when other people might think, oh, man, what are you nuts? He's, he's letting me stay here. And I can't even tell my kids about this. I mean, how could I ever even explain this? Proverbs says that children or that parents are the pride of their children. And uh, I've, I've cried over this. You know, the reality that there's nothing for my kids to be prideful for me in their eyes. I mean, yeah, they can say their father's a man of faith and he trusts God, but everybody would turn around and say, but yeah, what's that doing for him right now? Nothing, you know, in their eyes. It is, clearly. But So here I am, this lonely man, fighting this battle of faith, kind of all, just all by myself. I have, I have basically four friends that know pretty much everything that's going on. They know my situation with child support and my living situation and all that. Bobby Junkin, Carol Ann Dykes, Gustavo Hernando, and Chris Kemper. Out of all the people I've known and all that, those four people are way on the inside circle, and they have stuck with me. The rest of my family members, um, you know, and, and Larry and Trish and all that, and old pastor and stuff like that, they've all made their comments, said their things, and kind of turned against me, and I've lost my credibility with everybody, but you know what? I'm okay with it. It's not fun. It's not. It has not been fun to go through this at all, but I really believe that this season surely is going to end soon. I believe that, you know, God is going to honor my obedience, and it is my deepest prayer that God is testing me because I know he's telling me what to do I know he's telling me to stay put and so I'm just praying that he's testing me you know so anyhow time to pack up a couple things and get my little bed ready so I can go to the nights Michael commentary brothers and sisters I want to share with you today is May 30th 2020 so yesterday was May 29th, 2020. I'm working on this recording today. I want to share with you a devotion that came in yesterday that is just so spot on perfect for this exact recording that you've just heard that helps you to see that from heaven's perspective, what I'm experiencing is completely normal. It makes no sense to anyone and you've even heard even me but it makes an awful lot of sense in the heavens. And I just found this devotional that came in yesterday so incredibly uh, timing. I mean, of course, when I read things like this, I understand it firsthand from experience. I don't have to read devotions like this. I understand them. I've lived it. Um, but there are men that have been able to put into words far better than I can uh, these principles and to paint pictures using words, which I'm not so good at. And I thank God for these men like this. Again, Austin Sparks, he died two years before I was born. So the devotion is, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful, Hebrews 10.23. And incidentally, this is what you hear me doing 
all throughout trusting God in the wilderness. And isn't it incredible, six years later, you hear me doing the exact same thing just for a different promise in I Will Come Forth as Gold series. Notice this, there's always, no matter what it is, whether it's my wife Persis, or whether it's homelessness, or a hope for a fruitful ministry, a hope for enough finances to stand on my own two feet, a safe place to lay my head at night, my next warm cup of coffee, whatever it is, I'm constantly holding, even my relationship with my children, I'm holding unswervingly to the hope that I profess in God and to His promises. So Austin Sparks writes, Faith is going to determine which of two things is going to characterize us. This is the real point. It is either going to be that we are living under a terrible paralysis as altogether petrified through confusion, perplexity, an inability to understand, being unable to disentangle or to sort things out, to see straight and see clearly, to know what is meant by happenings. So he's saying, here's the first place you stand in this place of terrible paralysis, total confusion, mystery, unable to sort things out. You're tangled up, all right? And you're desperate to know what is the meaning of these happenings, right? Like you hear me having these things happening that don't make sense to anybody, but what is the overriding principle you hear coming out of my heart, but that of, I don't need to understand it. I just need to obey. Now, I'm a guy who likes to reason things out. I think the Lord has given me an above average understanding on his sovereign designs. I really believe that the Lord, uh, for example, I have a friend who often says, man, you know, you, you kind of have insight into all these things that have happened to you. And he begins to struggle when he tries to do that in his own life. And I said, brother, I think it's just a gift that God gave me that goes in accordance with me telling all that God has done in my life and how he's had mercy on me, but also to help give people comfort by making meaning out of that, which seems to be for a season meaningless. So he writes, that means utter paralysis, simply standing with our hands on our hips, helpless and hopeless. Now think about how many people are in that situation. Totally paralyzed, totally frustrated, totally ready to throw their hands up in the air uh, at, at, at one glance of all the nonsense around them that they see that doesn't make any sense at all. Utter paralysis, simply standing with our hands on our hips, helpless and hopeless. That is the effect of the absence of a positive faith. Brothers and sisters, if I didn't have faith, if you take faith away from me in those moments that you hear me going, this makes no sense to anybody, even me. If I don't have that positive faith where you hear in every single recording, nevertheless, I trust God. Nevertheless, I know God is in this. Nevertheless, I believe God. Nevertheless, I know that I've heard from God. You've heard this a thousand times by now in 200 recordings, close to 200 recordings, if you've heard it once. It's a constant faith to believe that God is with me, that God is for me, that I've heard him correctly, and I'm not letting go. Do you see this? So he writes, the only way of life and deliverance from such a paralysis is a deliberate faith in which God causes us to take the attitude that we are going on with God, understanding or not understanding, explaining or not explaining, having light or having no light. We are going right on with God on the basis of what God has done in us, made real in us, of what God himself is to us by what he has affected in us. Ah, 
See, this guy dies two years before I'm dead. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. He didn't care one millisecond about Michael Criswell's life, and yet he's described in principle exactly in just a few words in a paragraph what you hear going on with me in trusting God in the wilderness. I have decided deliberately that I am going on in faith with God. He's given me this attitude, and I say whether I understand it or don't understand it, whether I can explain it or I can't explain it, having light or no light, having total darkness, not knowing when or what is next, I'm going on with God on the basis of what God has done in me. Think of the few recordings where you hear me saying, I know that God has changed me. I am a different man, and that becomes the basis for my faith. I know that God is with me because Christ is appearing more and more in my heart. This gives me the faith that God is pleased with me at the spiritual level. He may not be pleased to give me good circumstances, but God is not working for circumstances. Good circumstances do not warrant eternal life. A heart changed and made to be like Jesus Christ, a heart filled with the Spirit of Christ, a heart led by the Spirit of Christ. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. These and only these warrant eternal life. I'm able to look and see that God has worked these things into me, and that is what has given me the faith. I know that I'm changing. I see how I respond to my mom is different. I see how I respond to my circumstances is not the way I would normally respond. I see how I'm responding to people who curse me and turn against me and betray me. It's, a, it's one of an attitude of love, forgiveness, patience. I am changing, therefore God is with me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Not even man, not even devils, not even circumstances. He goes on to write... We are going on. And he says, we, beloved, shall come there, meaning to this terrible place of confusion, and may come there more than once in the course of our life. We shall come to the place where we realize we are going right out into outer darkness and despair and paralysis to be ruled completely out of any effectiveness, fruitlessness or value, whatever, Unless we pull ourselves together and say to ourselves, the whole thing is absolutely inexplicable. It is bewildering confusion, a tangle of a mess from our standpoint or the standpoint of man. But God is, God is faithful. That is what he himself says he is. Thus, without questioning God, we go on believing God. Brothers and sisters, what if I would have quit? What if I would have quit? Only God was able to keep me going. I get emails every single day, brothers and sisters, from those of you who have taken the time to tell me how God has used this ministry. What if I would have quit? What if you quit? We cannot quit. We have to go on in faithfulness, trusting God, no matter how perplexing, no matter how confusing. You see, I have obeyed God more than I could have ever thought I could have obeyed Father. I don't know. Honestly, I don't say this to brag on myself. I say this because it is simply a fact. I'm not aware of any person in my life that I've ever touched or laid eyes on that has obeyed God as much as I have that has suffered for him as much as I have. I don't know that person. I'm not saying I'm better than them. I'm just telling you a fact. Okay? 
Now listen, I don't know a person who has suffered this much either. And God has not been pleased, no matter how much I've obeyed him, to take away the suffering, to take away the inexplicable, to take away the bewildering confusion. Look at what I have gone through with my wife, Persis. Is that inexplicable? Is that perplexing? Is that contradicting? Is that a bewildering confusion? Is that a tangle of a mess from our human standpoint or for the standpoint of other men? But brothers and sisters, both in trusting God in the wilderness and I will come forth as gold, God, I know, is faithful. That is what God, my God, says about himself. That is what his track record in my heart says about himself, regardless of what my circumstances say. Circumstances come and go. The word and faithfulness of God remain forever. I know it. It's this faith. I want you to see, brothers and sisters, the same faith that I had six years ago going through those horribly dark situations I found myself in is the same positive, deliberate faith in God I have right now that's causing me to take the same exact attitude of going on with God, even in this situation with my wife, Persis, understanding or not understanding, explaining or not explaining, having light or having no light. I'm going right on with God on the basis of what he has done in me on the basis of what he has made in my heart. And so you must also. He writes, Thus, without questioning God, we go on believing God. We have even to believe God to the point of putting over onto him the responsibility for failures, for mistakes, insofar as, as we have really and honestly put our lives at his disposal and have become utter, totally abandoned for God and are free from personal interests and worldly interests and are here only for God. Now listen, again, two years before I'm born, this guy writes these words. I've never seen these words before in my life. And yet, in a much more articulate way, he describes what Michael Criswell is famous for saying, that I would rather... Obey God and be wrong making a mistake or a failure than to shrink back from faith and not obey God. In other words, I'd rather be holding on to a promise and holding on to a path thinking I'd heard from God and being obedient to him than I dare would to say, I probably haven't heard God right and I'll just shrink back from it. Because I trust that even if I'm in the wrong path, I trust even if I'm headed in the wrong direction, I trust even if I make a failure or a mistake, that God sees my simple-hearted sincerity to obey Him, and God honors faith. I know that when God looks at my heart, He sees Michael trusts him. I have trusted God for many things that He's never even given me. Perhaps I'll receive credit in heaven for having faith for things. And God was so pleased with the faith, but he wasn't pleased to give me the object of that faith. But nevertheless, he saw that I was still living by faith. Maybe it's the same for you, brothers and sisters, that maybe you've, you've longed for a particular promise in something. You're living by faith, which the Bible says, because you are, you're pleasing God. Maybe you might have failed or heard incorrectly about something. Nevertheless, I believe God honors your faith to trust him. And I also believe that if it's in keeping with God's will for you, eventually God will course correct. God will give you light. 
or God will redeem it such that it won't even matter. You won't even need to have light on it. You will be so at rest and peace with the result that came about in your heart, in your character, in your soul from that mistake or that failure. This is how amazing it is. I I believe these words that this man has written. He says, final sentence, we have to make over to the Lord's account things which may have been mistakes or failures and trust him with these and go on. I know I've made many mistakes, perhaps more than I'm even aware of. And yet I continue to go on by faith, trusting God sovereign, working out everything that he will fulfill his plans and purpose for our life. Amen. End of commentary. It's Sunday morning, August 24th, 2014, 9.31 a.m. in the morning. I'm sitting here reading the book um, of Deuteronomy this morning. I've watched again a second time the Charles Stanley message on turning crisis into opportunity. I feel led to, to go through. I'm trying to get a better understanding on law, Old Testament law, and understanding what it practically looks like when Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And yet we see that you know, Paul says he abolished the law through his death and resurrection. Um, and so I'm just kind of going through and, and uh, reading the book of Deuteronomy. And um, interestingly enough, I came in to, to make my coffee uh, at a certain point. It was 8.01. And that is, um, if I turn to it right now, it's interesting. It's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. And it says, word for word, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. It's like God just constantly reminding me to do exactly what He's telling me to do. Um, The only two things I can think of that the Lord is telling me to do is to wait and not move ahead in my circumstances and to continue to produce these documents and the memorization of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Those are the only two things. It's really to store up the words of Christ in my heart, and I'm building some tools to help other people do that as well, and um, a 31-day devotional that helps me do that through repetition, and then to not move ahead in my circumstances. Last night, I I did a little journal entry about how I know I'm being tested to, to try to save myself. I'm being tempted to save myself in my circumstances with my kids and in my living situation, my parents again have offered me to move into that house, and I just know I'm not allowed. And uh, this morning, I come in, I've been sitting here, and I decide I'm hungry. I decide to get up and look, and what time is it? As I'm putting my sandwich in the microwave, it's 9.19. And while the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed God and did not set out. And I had been sent a... Um, a journal entry this morning, or actually a, a, a link to one of Oswald Chambers' devotions, which was today, August 24th, and it was talking about, you know, unanswered prayers will continue until you are in a line with being the child of God God has called you to. In other words, are you harboring resentment towards somebody, unforgiveness, unpaid debts, improper attitudes and all that? You shouldn't expect God would answer your prayers. And I thought about, you know, I owe child support. And I know that God, I owe child support because God has asked me to stay put. But I also recognized, you know, the temptation to want to believe that that might be causing me to, to sit still. And it was like God was just in His grace showing me, Michael, stay put. Stay the course. Continue to trust me. Do what I'm asking you to do while you're waiting. 
It's just so unbelievably exciting. You know, I, I needed some encouragement this morning. And sometimes God doesn't speak to me when I don't need Him to. It's very interesting how I have now just discovered this pattern that, like, if I maybe wouldn't have had those thoughts this morning, a little bit of doubt, like, you know, the moving forward, should I move forward and fix things myself? Is there anything I'm doing to prevent God from blessing me? I feel confident I would have not seen the 919. This is God's grace to me. I've continually seen that God will only show me things now you know, it's unbelievable. Like if I got discouraged about Laura, you know, he'll give me a dream. Ah, I think of how many times he's done that. Oh my goodness. How many times I've, uh, I've, you know, been discouraged and started thinking, man, who would want to be my wife? You know, especially a Laura and the situation I'm in. I felt myself, you know, wanting to give up a couple of times and, uh, and God will either give me some awesome dream about her or, you know, I'll have a day where I've had a couple of days where I've seen 212, you know, five, six, seven times or something in one day or, or lots of 955s and 1001s over a period of days and 212s mixed in and God just gets me thinking about her so much and encouraging me and I realize looking back at all the times this has happened, it is God by His grace encouraging me to trust Him for His promise. God is working for His glory and I will never be able to take credit and say, God forbid, I know my sin nature would love or my, my natural human nature would love to you know, have its way and think like that. But the evidence is overwhelming that I could not have made it this long without God's constant encouragement through His grace in various ways to me to keep me going. It's very encouraging when that happens. You know, I... I go from feeling kind of alone to, you know, just realizing, well, Lord, I, I know I just have to endure and you're not going to be with me every moment. I'm not going to feel you every moment to then having these moments where <clears throat> it's like he lifts me up, you know. So anyhow, just very, very encouraging. Now I'm going to eat my breakfast. It is uh, 7.24 in the morning on uh, August 22nd, 2014. I'm making this recording from Bobby's office and sitting here doing my Bible study, and I've just been praising God this morning and so thankful for um, a meeting I had with my mom and uh, stepfather last night. Um, went over to their house to see him. They asked me to come over, and um, I'm just so hopeful with what's been going on in my mom. I'm watching my mother slowly be sanctified. I'm watching my mother continue to be renewed in her mind by truth. My mom is exposing herself to better teaching. She's in the Word now. It seems like every day she's listening to it. My mom seems to be really fighting for her faith now. And, oh, it just gives me goosebumps. It's amazing to watch. And, I mean, she's still very much a, a work in progress. But last night there was a major new level that we reached, I believe. And we were all just having a conversation and mom had opened up about how their marriage had been in trouble a couple of times. And in the last couple of weeks where this house thing has just driven them nuts, they've been so busy and focused and hollering and hot and sweaty at each other and all that stuff. And they had one time where they kind of were really, really upset at each other for like 20 minutes. And 
my mom was just kept saying, you know, I, I think our marriage is really in trouble, you know, and all of that. And I took the opportunity to kind of explain what I've observed, why what she does causes him to shut down and then causes her to feel disrespected by him. And it's her approach. We were able to talk last night about my mom's anxiety and we were able to conclude, I was able to see two different factors that are playing a role in upsetting her her life and that is she her her world her she lives in the fear that her material world is going to fall apart and so anytime anybody does anything a, a scratch here a, a mark here something here she sees it as a personal f- attack against her welfare she was grown up she explained last night that she grew up being taught you see that toaster you take care of it. It's the only one you're ever, ever going to have. You see that chair? You take care of it. It's the only one you're never going to have. You can never get another one. So my mom grew up with this lack mentality, afraid that everything she had would be taken away from her and that if she didn't take absolute 100% care of that, she'd never have one ever again. So she began to share this and I said, Mom, I want to stop you right now. Is it true that you've only had one toaster in your life? She didn't want to answer. I said, Mom, is it true that you've only had one set of carpet? She didn't want to answer. She started smiling. And she says, I I don't want to admit it. I said, but Mom, I want to hear those words come out of your mouth that you recognize that what you are operating out of is a lie. And because of that lie, it creates fear. And that fear does not affect you alone. It overflows into the lives of those around you through how it manifests itself in your behavior. My mom, out of her fear, tries to control the environment. And people obviously affect environments. So if a person can affect her environment, she needs to control the person out of fear. So my mom tries to control everything and a person kind of does and where they put stuff and all that. And, and, if, and so that was the first issue. The, the next issue is she has this organizational, obsessional compulsive disorder where her brain can't think straight if something's out of order. When she walks into a room, her eyes see everything. And if that's out of place, it affects her. So that's kind of a different thing. But I was able to see that my mom has two issues, two separate distinct issues. One with the organizational obsessive compulsive, where I can understand the basic need to have things organized so you can think clearly, versus her having this fear that if I don't take care of that, And if you don't help me take care of that, we're going to lose that. We'll never have it again. It's this poverty, this lack mentality. And it was, it was a major, it was a major breakthrough. She didn't, she at first wanted to fight going there. And my stepfather started to get frustrated with her because he he could see that she was dodging this. She wanted to redirect. She's, he basically said, you know, you, you don't want to deal with this. You don't want to hear the truth. And so we were able to get to a place where I think my mom, we were able to walk away without anybody being feelings hurt. I was able to pray. I had a wonderful prayer. I haven't been able to pray for my parents for a long time with them together just because of the gap in faith between what they believe about God and what I believe about God. It's very difficult. Like Jesus said, you know, he couldn't perform many miracles in his own hometown because not many had faith. I've not been able to pray very powerfully for my parents with them, I mean, because of the difference in faith issues. So last night I was able to lay hands on both of them and pray for their marriage and for 
just the truth to prevail in their hearts. And it was just a really, it was a powerful moment of prayer. And I just felt, um, I told my mom, I complimented her and I, I told her, I said, you have the makings of being a super mom. You have all these unbelievable talents. And it's this one fear that acts like a giant eraser to erase from my mind all the good that you do and all the potential that you have. Because that fear results in anxiety, which results in an effort to manipulate and control those around you. And it's hurtful. And I tried to get my mom to see that, but I don't know. I I just feel, um, man, this makes me so, I I get emotional just thinking about it. I just feel, um, I feel a love for my mom coming to the surface that I haven't felt in a long time. I haven't felt in a long time. I'm feeling differently about my mom. And I'm so thankful for that because, you know, my mom has been uh, really hard to be around for a long time. And I just remember leaving last night going, man, God, this is such evidence of endure, endure to trust and wait and to never give up hope. Because I remember thinking so many times I've said things probably to other people about my mom, like she's never going to change. You know, you don't understand how hard it is. Not very many people, but there's been a couple of people I've opened up to. And I even feel bad about having done that now because I think, wow, my mom is changing. My mom is changing. And I think it's very encouraging to me. And I'm very hopeful. And my mom is concluding that I'm either, uh, she basically says, you know, Michael, you are either one of the most godly people we've ever met or one of the most deceived. She said it can either be, it it can't be anywhere in between. It's either one or the other. She said my father had asked how I'm doing and she said he is either one of the most godly people I know or he's one of the most deceived. There can't be any middle ground and or something to the effect or he's either, you know, God is either speaking to him in one of the most unusual ways or dealing with Michael in one of the most unusual ways, something like that, versus me being deceived. And my mom said, if it wasn't for the child support, she said the child support is the only thing, she said, that that makes me wonder. She said, but, she says, that, or that makes me doubt. I forget how she was explaining it, but she was saying that if she looked at my life, she sees such a level of obedience and she sees me living it in such a, a, a big way, live, walking out my faith. Her, this her testimony that she said, you know, if, if you were dating women and running around still trying to get your needs met or drinking or, you know, just acting foolish or doing stuff like that, she goes, I would doubt. But she's like, I see this peace in you and I see this obedience to God and I see this fruit in your life and all that she goes literally the only thing that makes me question you know are you mishearing God is the issue of the child support and I basically explained that in every biblical story of supernatural faith in the face of human reasoning there's always going to be that thing that makes the people around say I don't understand this I don't know why God would do this and I said that has been it for me and I just reiterated that I wasn't done yet. And my mom said, you know, I could see the ego and the pride and the thing that you'd told us about, you know, in the past that needed to be taken care of. And and I said, yeah, mom, and I've told you guys many times, I'm not there yet, that God still has to work on me. And by, you know, last night I pulled into their driveway at 525. I took a picture of it. You know, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And 
My mom again brought up last night how cool it would be for me and Chris to live in that house and how it'd be so awesome that we were always talking about God and just let whatever happened happen and how they're in no hurry to put people in the house and they want it done the right way. And I explained to them that I can't move until God tells me to. And it's that very thing of me obeying God and not moving forward in a way that doesn't make sense to anybody else that continues to be the death of all the things in me that God cannot stand and that get in the way of his perfect work in my life. You know, the longer I deny myself this, the more of that part of myself dies. It's unbelievable. I mean, the longer I have to wait for Laura, the longer I have to wait for my children, the longer I have to wait for finances, the longer I have to wait for a place to live, and I have to live in this kind of no man's land of being uncomfortable and lonely and, you know, just not having a life circumstance that works. The more I'm becoming content, it's unbelievable to even hear these words coming out of my mouth. I realize that contentment, as Stanley says, comes through being very discontent. The more difficult your circumstances are, the more you have the opportunity to be discontent the more you have an opportunity to reach to the other side through God's grace and find contentment. When you surrender the circumstance to God and you say, I trust God in this circumstance no matter what, there is this peace that comes, the result of which looks like contentment. It is contentment. And so what I'm discovering is that it's this very deep mystery of how God works. It's amazing how this is all happening where God has given me these situations in my life that do not make any sense. My inability to make any money and pay child support right now or to have a place to live and all that. All of my situation is very discontent. But yet, because I'm willing to obey God, and granted, it's amazing, I couldn't obey God today with the level of obedience I had a year ago. In other words, what I'm having to do today is requiring a whole new level of faith and obedience, stronger faith and obedience, than what I would have had a year ago or two years ago or whatever. God has been slowly building me up to this. And what I'm discovering is, is that by being in these situations where it's very uncomfortable and I do not want to be in that situation, nevertheless, I'm choosing to be in that situation. I have a choice. I could save myself, clearly. I'm choosing to obey God, however, and, and as a result, the parts of me that want my will to be done and that want anything but God's will to be done are dying. I'm literally crucifying that part of me which rebels against God. That part of you that says it wants comfort more than it wants God. It wants pleasure more than it wants obedience. You know, it wants satisfaction and fulfillment more than it wants to do what's right, which leads to suffering. And so that's the difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. And the flesh is stubborn. And it seems to me like what I'm doing is I'm proving to myself that the power of the spirit is greater than the power of the flesh, that, that you can, by God's grace, work in the flesh and work in the spirit and constantly deny the flesh. That you can... You can tell yourself no, that you can deny yourself no. And I still have, I would say 98% of the time, I have this joy. And I've had peace like 
almost all the time, I'll have maybe a five minute moment when I wake up or here and there where I'm, I kind of put my eyes on the circumstances, but God is training me so much not to do that, that even though my circumstances have gotten worse and worse, the level of peace and contentment and joy and calm has gotten greater and greater. It's deeply mysterious. And so, you know, pretty much the greatest evidence I have that I'm doing exactly what God has asked me to do and that I am not deceived, you know, or insane, is the fact that these very circumstances are bringing out Jesus Christ in me more and more. I see the the capabilities and the characters and the attitudes of Christ and the ways of Christ in my life. You know, I, I'm, it makes me think, man, what will it be like 20 years from now? My heart longs to live like Jesus. I want to be like him. I want to walk like him. I want to be fully sanctified. And I know that this won't happen until I'm dead. It will continue until I'm dead. But the growth is very desirable. It's very attractive. It's I long to see God glorified in my life. And it's this, it's this just bizarre, mysterious balance between the peace and joy that come from that and the difficulty and the unsatisfaction and the pain and the adversity of having to squash the flesh. And I think the hardest part about it is when you, you're put in a situation and you have to do this to yourself. In other words, if your whole world just caves in on you and you don't have a choice, as what happened to me in the beginning, you have one of two choices. You can either become bitter or better. You can either, you know, let the circumstances destroy you and look down, or you can look up, grab a hold of God, and believe and trust with everything you have. Fortunately for me, I chose the latter. But then there comes this, these parts of your walk where you have to choose to squash the flesh, that God tests your heart. A test is, a test is when you still have a choice. When you don't have a choice, it's not easy to be tested. Sure, your attitude can be tested, but when you have a choice, choice A, manipulate circumstances or take your own action or save yourself and provide comfort, or choice B, wait for the Lord, sit still, endure difficult circumstances, deny yourself the comfort of getting out of the difficult circumstances, potentially lose or definitely lose your dignity in the process of doing this, be misunderstood by people, have pain and suffering as a result of your obedience because you're denying yourself, that presents an opportunity for a test. At the end of both of those trails is a result. At the end of choice A trail, manipulation, self-deliverance, there is a temporary result that anything, and, 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 and we know that anything that we acquire outside of God's will turns to ashes. So you may have temporary relief, but God will not bless it, and there will be consequences at the end of that. At the end of trail B, trusting God and allowing yourself to suffer in the process, we know that at the end of that trail is God's very, very best for you. And on, on route to that trail is death of you and the presence of, of Christ living in you. It's character development more in, in, in your life. It is difficult. It is a narrow trail. I am, I am realizing more and more how so many people don't want to go down this trail. And I, I realize how difficult it is to go down this trail of denying yourself. It makes totally not sense to human nature. We can only do it by faith and by grace. But I think to myself... 
of, of all that, that I've gained by walking this trail in the way of life and joy and peace and presence of God and, and character development that I've, my heart has longed for that I've never been able to have on my own. And it just amazes me. You know, and I think, what if God chooses to add on top of what He's already given me this heart of courage, a heart of passion, a heart of joy, a heart of peace, a heart of righteousness, a heart of love. What if God takes this heart he's, he's molding in me and then on top of that adds these circumstances of my wife, Laura, who will love me, who I can respect and who I can honor and serve and give my life up for and who I can do the same thing with her kids and I have this family and my kids and then God gives me, you know, finances, what will my life be like at the end of that trail if God adds good circumstances, the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living, on top of the very best gifts he's given me, which are those of joy, peace, contentment, rest, and fruit. Not to mention eternal life. I mean, my goodness, eternal life rests at the end of this road of denying yourself. If anyone comes to me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me or he's not worthy of me. So I'm just, God is giving me more and more understanding of this. I've been begging him to help me have wisdom and to understand. And <clears throat> if I only look at the circumstances, again, all of the internal benefits subside and I want to panic and I want to say, no, but I, I have to have better circumstances. It's, it's kind of like I told my mom, I've said, you know, I've distanced myself from other people in this season because... I recognize that my circumstances are actually hindering the faith of other people. People would look at my circumstances and say, you say you have faith in God, but what has he done for you? Where is your God? And so I am having to kind of shrink back and allow God to finish this season with me. I'm in a lone period. You know, it's like, David, you've been anointed king, but for 13 years, uh, you're running from cave to cave, being chased for fear of your life being killed. I mean... Where's the goodness of God in that? So if I only, and David was learning how to be strong and courageous and righteous and obedient and a good leader. And, and, and God is teaching me those things too. But I think if I only look at my circumstances, you want to run and panic and fix. And so I have to keep reminding myself to look at my heart. Look at the condition of my heart. Look at the fruit that comes out of me that those that are in my immediate life, like my parents and Bobby and a couple of other people, Chris, they're still benefiting from my faithfulness in God. I'm forced to be in their life in a way, and they're still getting to benefit. Those who have chosen to look at my circumstances and question God's work in my life or presence in my life are missing out on this. Again, my point being, even for me, I want better circumstances. I want desperately for my kids to be in my life. I want desperately to be able to pay the child support. I want desperately to be able to be there for their soccer games and to teach them at this vulnerable age. I've cried out to God. I've made my request known to God about this over and over and over. I don't know. I just I think that really good things are around the corner, and I really am still believing that God is going to use my life as a powerful, powerful testimony of His faithfulness of, of the fact that he's real. It'll be a unquestionable, powerful testimony that says God shows up in the life of those who seek him, 
love him, trust him, and obey him. And I'm living for his glory now.